and thank you for joining us in Holy Communion. We really did have a chance this morning to connect with our Creator and our Savior. Thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you as we continue in the second part of our series on Rooted in Christ. Uh, I want to talk to you today about a deep connection with Jesus and the the prototype for that relationship of what a, a related connectedness looks like is Jesus himself. And so we'll look at him as our example uh, today as we go into our text. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to John chapter 14. We'll be looking at some parts of 14 and 15 today. And, and I want us to start actually with a moment that I think is really important when we talk about being rooted, right? Why are we talking about being rooted? Because in life there are storms, there are events uh, that come in with such uh, veracity, with such force that they can knock us down. And uh, I, I reference, and you can still see the damage, even still from a storm several months ago that just blew trees down all over our area, uprooted them by the roots and laid them down on the ground. And so we know that there are storms that come through our physical world, but there are also storms that come through our individual lives, right? And we don't always see them coming. We don't always know what uh, what's ahead for us, but man, when the winds of turmoil and of, of the unexpected swirl around us, easy to get knocked down. And so we want to be anchored. So like in that story about the wise and foolish builder, that when the flood comes, we're not destroyed and that we're able to stand in the storm. Well, I referenced that, and I want to take you to John 14 where the storm is brewing, in Jesus' life, there is a lot of opposition to him and to his ministry. For his disciples, they've now been through an awful lot with Jesus, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. So there's a conversation that begins to break out with Jesus and with his disciples. Listen to what Jesus says here in verse 19, chapter 14. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Judas, disciples, if anyone loves me, they'll obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said. So peace I leave with you. Stop. This is already a, a puzzling conversation for them. Jesus is talking about some things that are hard for them to understand. After all, they had thought he was the Messiah, and wouldn't he want everyone to know about who he was? 
So why is he saying not everyone will understand who I am? Why is he telling him that? This was troubling. It was a wind of, of confusion, we could say, that was blowing against them. And now, when Jesus goes a little farther in his conversation to them, he says, I'm going to leave something with you, meaning I'm going to be gone. He's hinted at it and he says it again. They'd left everything to follow him. I think they had expected that he'd be physically with them for the rest of their lives. But now he's talking about leaving. That's hard. And Jesus knows that it's hard. So what he says next speaks to the fact that Jesus understands our fears, our anxieties. So Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I, gave you, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not be afraid. Yes, you heard me say I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. Now, he has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, let us leave, and that is let us move towards the next thing that God has for us. That's the context that precedes this great teaching about being connected to Jesus, it's a context that says, Jesus says, listen, things are not going to turn out exactly as you had planned, but it's okay. God's plan is better than what you imagine. That's an important part of his teaching. He also says, God's always going to be giving you something. God's presence is going to come in the presence of me in, in this point, but in the Holy Spirit later on, his presence, you're never going to be alone. God's always going to have something for you. We need to hold on to those words as we examine the rest of this story about, and this, this teaching about being connected to Jesus. Understand that God doesn't want us to be separated from him. That's really important. Because everything else people read in the story, some people read this and think, wow, man, is God harsh or mean? Does he want us separated? No, he doesn't want us separated from him. That's the whole context that started this conversation. So chapter 15, Jesus talks then about connectedness and agriculture and vines, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Wow, that's a powerful statement. His disciples hear that, and, and what do you think they focus on? Jesus as the, as the vine and life giver, or God as the pruner? I don't know. What do you focus on when you hear that? When you think about this idea that God cuts off branches of me that bear no fruit, Jesus kind of had, he will, he will double down on this when he goes to Jerusalem with his disciples and he sees the fig tree that's not bearing fruit and he curses it and they come back and they marvel because what, it's all dried up. Jesus makes an emphatic statement, you need to be bearing fruit. <clears throat> and so he says God cuts off the unfruitful parts of us. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus, of course, is speaking about the fact that God loves us, and so he, he does prune us back sometimes so we can grow and be even more fruitful. 
For, for Jesus, there's going to be a kind of difficult space he has to go through in the near future. Don't think it's not difficult. Jesus himself will say, Father, if there's any way this, pass can, this cup can pass for me, let it pass. But it's what had to happen. It was painful. It was difficult. It's what had to happen so that something better could occur. Forgiveness for you and for me. God prunes back so that we could be even more fruitful. Now he said, and this is where he makes this beautiful statement to them, because they hear that and they immediately think, am I a fruitful branch? And I think they can probably all think about times they haven't been very fruitful. <laughs> this is his disciples he's speaking with, and James and John have thought about who'd be the greatest. They've argued about all kinds of things. They've stumbled. They've failed. Jesus had to, to, ch- to chastise them more than once. They wonder to themselves, am I good enough? What's God going to do to me? And Jesus, man, he says the most beautiful thing next. He speaks to them and he says, but you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I want to pause for a moment and go back to this idea of God as the, as the creator of all things. When we read the Genesis account, we read very clearly that these words over and over, uh, God spoke and then something happened, right? That happens over and over. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, uh, let there be uh, seed-bearing plants, and there were seed-bearing plants. Whatever God said, it happened. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, that, that Jesus was the Word spoken into creation, And here Jesus, the living word, says, listen, I speak the word. You're clean. You're clean. Jesus spoke those words more than once. He spoke them over a leper once. He spoke them over an adulteress once. He spoke the words, you're clean, now go and sin no more. Or you're clean, go show yourself to the priest. When Jesus says you're clean, friend, you're clean. And he said, I've spoken this. So what do you need to do? Well, first, he says, we've got to be connected to the vine. Secondly, he says, we've got to remain. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Know that no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, Jesus is telling us, he's told us the story once, and he's going deeper, and he expands it, and he repeats this vine metaphor, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if a man or a person remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Last week, I asked you to consider the question, what kinds of seed are you sowing? Today, I asked you the question, what kind of fruit are you bearing? It's an important question for us to consider because it's the fruit that shows us in part the strength of our roots and how connected we are to the vine. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up. They are thrown into the fire. They're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. 
Jesus has told us the importance of relating to the vine, of remaining in the vine, and now he moves to the importance of our request. Ask whatever you want. It'll be done for you. One of the things that's been interesting in the journey of being a pastor for the last two and a half decades here is conversations I get to have with people. And when I talk to people about that, that are struggling with their relationship with God, one of the recurring things I hear over and over is, Marty, I, I don't understand why God, and then <coughs> fill in the rest of that story, why did God let this person pass away? I mean, this person was a good person, I prayed for them, or why did this happen to my child, or why did this, I don't understand why. And for a lot of us, we, we, we have to put that understanding that we really prayed in earnest for something and it didn't happen, we have to put that against a word like Jesus says here, ask whatever you want, my name will be done for you. And then those two things don't feel like they line up very well. You know, <laughs> throughout the years I've served here, I, I've had to confess a few things to you from time to time where I really just blew it. And it was better to come forward and say, listen, I need you to help me with this because it's not so good, right? I mean, it's been a, my first year here. I took the kids to Holiday World. We almost got hit by a truck and a really unfortunate word slipped out of my mouth in front of 15 kids. I had to confess that to you and say, I really shouldn't have said that. One of our kids, Brian Brown's son, said, Pastor Marty, would Jesus really say that word? No, he wouldn't, but Pastor Marty did, and I shouldn't have. Sometimes I have to confess that. I remember kind of losing my temper at a baseball game when I was helping coach Little League with a bunch of your kids, church kids, and and got a little frustrated, didn't set a very good example. I, I know that there are times that those things happen. And I have to confess something to you now. This one's unique because no one else would know if I didn't tell you. But I need to tell you because I think some of you have had the same struggle. I um, recently, in the last few weeks, went with a friend, someone I care about a lot, to to the hospital. And um, we've been praying for a long time. And... uh, I really, in my heart, believe, hey, God has got this person. This is all going to be okay. And so I was there when the person got that information they did not want to hear. Things are not good, and they're not at all good. And because I had taken the hospital, had the chance to write back with this person, and, man, I was torn. I'm Pastor Marty. (laughs) I'm supposed to have all the right words to say. But you know what was happening in here? I was a wreck. I was a petulant, angry little child in my prayer and my talk with God. I was so mad and angry. This isn't what I wanted. It was frustrating. It's hard to not get what you want sometimes. I know. You know. I struggled. As I was preparing for this sermon, there was a passage that really spoke to me about this. It's not a Bible passage. It was a reading about a former uh, minister who ministered in England over 100 years ago. He, um, He was ministering to the people of the borough of West Stanley in England. He was called there because a mine had collapsed there, and it had killed a number of the residents, children, husbands, sons, 
and fathers. It was, by all accounts, the worst tragedy that had ever befallen that little borough. Dr. Handley Mule was asked to come and to speak and somehow offer comfort to a community that was saying, how can this happen? This doesn't make any sense. Where was God today? The memorial was held at the mouth of the mine. The family members and community members had gathered in great numbers. When Dr. Mule began to speak, he said these words. It's very difficult for us to understand why God should let such an awful disaster happen. But we know him, and we trust him, and because we know him and we trust him, we know that all will be right. Now this drew a bit of a murmur from the crowd. All be right. My whole world's turned upside down. Our means of making a living is turned upside down. How's all going to be right? When the murmur died down, Mule continued his speech, his talk, his sermon. And he looked at them and he said, let me tell you about an old bookmark that I have at home. It's a bookmark that was given to me by my mother. It is a bookmark that is worked in silk with a thread. Now, when I examined the wrong side or the back side of that bookmark, I see nothing but a tangle of threads. Threads crossed and recrossed. It just looks like a jumble, a big mistake. You can't make out a single letter, let alone a word. One would think that someone had done it who did not know what she or he was doing. Yet Mule said, when I turn that bookmark over and I look at it from the right side, I see there beautifully embroidered these letters. God is love. He counseled the people with these words. We are looking at this today from the wrong side. Someday we shall see it from another standpoint and we shall understand. Because we know God and we trust God, in the end, all will be right. I don't know if those words speak to you. They spoke, they spoke to me. Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples even as he prepares them for what's ahead. And they are about to go through a great and terrible trial. There's no getting around that. So why did he say those words? Ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Well, Jesus makes sure we understand that by the next sentence. For this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, we have come to the misunderstanding that when we pray something in Jesus' name, he's gonna give us whatever we want because it's what we want. So I really want this, so I'm gonna pray about it in Jesus' name because I want it. But the real truth of what Jesus said there is this has to do with bearing fruit. And at its real core, what Jesus is saying is when you pray 
and something is of great importance to you. It, it's, it's on the idea of bearing fruit. So Jim is a person who doesn't know God at all. And Lord, I know that you love Jim. And I love Jim. And I want for Jim to be in a right relationship with you, Lord. And so I know that so much is true that when I pray in Jesus' name, I am saying, God, Jesus and I both agree that, that you need to help us reach Jim. We both agree on this. When I pray in Jesus' name, it's that I am so certain of the will of Jesus on something that I'm saying, yes, Jesus knows this is the best way, and I agree with Jesus. We're both asking you for this. I'm adding his name to it because I know he's with me on this. I do that when I come to you and I say, you know, Virgil and I were talking, and we both agree about this or that. We're in agreement. So when I say and I pray, one of my prayers has to be, okay, Jesus, I want to be on the same page as you. And it's much more important that I'm on the same page as Jesus than that he's on the same page as me. Because what I want is just not what always is best. But what he wants is perfect. Jesus understood this in the hardest of ways when he prayed in that garden facing the cross, the words, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. When I pray in Jesus' name, isn't that what I'm saying? <laughs> I do want this, Lord, but at the end, I want whatever it is you want the most. Now, my friend is going to go through a storm. But I realize something. I don't know how that storm's going to end yet. I don't know what's on the other side of this thing. Both in this life, who knows what God has planned? Who knows what's going to happen in their story? It's not finished yet. So I repent for being a petulant little child who can't wait another day and thinks like Eeyore, all is lost, when maybe the tail was still stuck in the right place the whole time and I just didn't realize it. God's got this. We all face those kinds of difficult moments, but if we're connected to the life-giving vine, we know that even after things are pruned back, there is growth, and there is life, and there is productivity. So Jesus continues in this way. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You know, I came back from sabbatical last week. A boy had this really deep idea from Acts chapter 10 that I share, right? It, it was when Peter summarized the message of Jesus' life to Cornelius in Acts 10. He summarized it in just two quick sentences. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, who went around doing good and freeing people from the traps or snares of the devil. That's really deep theology. It sounds like second grade Sunday school, right? Pastor Marty, what should we do? Go around doing good, free people from the devil's traps. That's what Jesus did. But it's true. Wouldn't it be great if we could just do that? And today, what does he say, right? Today, he says, if you want to do what I command, just do this. He said, you know, maybe you should practice loving other people. <laughs> just do that. These are things that sound simple, but we know they're not. It's easy to love people who are like me. It's hard to love people who hate me. Jesus is frequently talking about love to his disciples while he's in the very presence of people who he knows are plotting his death. And he talks about loving your enemies. 
He says, love, this is my command, love each other. And don't just love them a little, love them the way I have, sacrificially. That's how I have loved you. Now, when he tells them that, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. But he's going to. This is what makes Jesus' message so powerful, is he doesn't just say something, he does it. He lives out the message. Now, you are my friends if you do what I command. I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you, and I appoint you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you what you ask in my name. But this is my command. Love each other. Jesus had said, greater love has no one in this and the lay down their life for their friends. And he will do that very thing. He will sacrificially love them and die for them. But he'll also live for them. This required something of his disciples. We know they had been troubled by his words to this point, but inside of them, it demanded a response. Will I live up to the command that I'm called to? Will I love like Jesus loves? And we're called to the same exact situation. If you read the beautiful story of Acts and of, of the church in Acts and, and that passage from Acts 10, what you'll find that's so beautiful about Peter is that the people he's talking to, Peter would have once thought of as lost and unreachable to God. And yet Jesus has changed him. And the very fact he's at Cornelius' house says a lot about what God's doing in Peter's life. That he's keeping the command to love others the way he was loved. What about you and I? If we're really connected and we really want to be able to stand against the storm, part of the way that we continue to strengthen our roots is by producing fruit and letting our roots draw deeper and deeper into the true vine. How do you respond to his command to love others? And how do you respond to his statement that you are loved? We come to Jesus today not out of a fear of hell or a fear of death and dying. Well, that probably enters into our minds from time to time. No, you come into a relationship because someone loves you and cares about you, wants to be close to you, wants to help you. Jesus says, I love you. He loved his disciples and he loves us. And he is the vine that wants to give life to us. Well, if you're in Christ today, then you hear this message and you're probably left with a couple of things to consider. What kind of fruit am I bearing? Am I keeping his commands? Am I loving like Jesus loved? All great questions for you to be pondering. And if you're not a Christian today, you come into this then asking yourself the question, if I'm not connected to Jesus, what am I connected to? And does it offer me anything that will extend and help me in life? And perhaps you would consider this being the day you say, you know what, I need a better and deeper and stronger connection, and I want to connect with my creation, or my creator. Whatever decision that you might be wrestling with, I pray that you'll pray about it, and I ask you that if God is leading you in a direction, follow his leading. Don't just hear his word, but do what it says. As you consider that, let's stand together and let's sing our 
hymn of invitation.